We'll be streaming live soon. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you today to Bible study. It's a wonderful, beautiful day, and I hope you had a good night's rest and are up and got your Bible out in your lap and ready to give some time over to the King of Kings. I can't think of a better way to spend the morning than just to take a few minutes and gather around a scripture or two and think about God a little bit. It's good for you, good for good, good for the teacher, good for the student, good for us all. I want to begin letting you know that we're going to be studying again the book of Hebrews, and I'm working on the sixth chapter this morning of, of Hebrews. Uh, I, I, I have confessed to you that I chose this. I was given a choice of it, of anything in Hebrews I wanted, and I I picked this primarily because it's of its theological depth, and uh, I thought it would be something good to consider uh, thoroughly because it, it it's, it's an important text in the Bible. Uh, I want to start, if we can, by just having a moment of prayer. Let us settle ourselves down. Let, let me invoke the presence of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we indeed ask you to be here with us this morning. Just come right on and move right in. We need you more than anything in this world. We love you fondly and care for you and for what you do. And we take this opportunity to bless you and to praise your precious holy name. Amen. Let's read this sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews. Therefore, let us go on toward perfection, leaving behind the basic teachings about Christ and not laying again the foundation, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits, for it's impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, since on their own they are crucifying again the Son of God, and are holding him up to contempt. Ground that drinks up the rain falling on it repeatedly and produces a crop useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it's worthless and on the verge of being cursed, its end is to be burned over. 
Even though we speak in this way, beloved, we are confident of better things in your case, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints, as you still do. And we want each one of you to show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope to the very end, so that you may not become sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promise. When God made a promise to Abraham, because he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, I'll surely bless you and multiply you. And thus, Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. Human beings, of course, swear by someone greater than themselves, and an oath given as a confirmation puts an end to all dispute. In the same way, when God desired to show even more clearly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it by an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible that God would prove false, we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, there ends the reading of the sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews. And permit me now to just make some remarks on various portions of it today. I, I want to start off by going from sixth chapter, verse one, probably down through thirteen, which is a good place for the break up of the two things. They are the we have just two different types of things going on. Here the Lord challenges these people in, through this spokesman. He challenges them to, to, and then he tells of his concern for them and then finally he expresses his confidence in him. You see that's, that's almost like a, a form of the best encouragement a Christian can get is for somebody to tell you what your challenges are and then express to you through love, a loving heart for you, where their concerns are for you. You can get somebody to do that. You've really got something. And in the end, to have that person express their confidence in you, how you can make it, how you can do it, oh, it's precious. So let's take it apart. Let's do the first part first, the challenge part of it. If you look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, 
you have this curious statement about leaving behind the basics about Christ. And then he lists those basic things that everybody ought to know, he says, you know. And it's a list of about six of them. And I'm curious about that because, you see, we need to remember what the basics are and even find out what they are. Because we didn't know about these early churches too much about them. They, many of them had said some of their own theologies were kind of weird. I mean, remember that the church grew all of a sudden. It didn't grow overnight, of course, but it grew suddenly, faster than somebody could just run around the Mediterranean carrying it. What happened was it grew like uh, wire grass in your yard. You know how that stuff comes up in the strangest places? Well, this is how the Christian communities grew. And a lot of them grew with, with weird kinds of mysteries and Gnosticism and all sorts of, uh, that's a terrible big word. It just means, it just, Gnosticism means kind of a false teachings. Uh, but, and they're interesting, but they, they waste your time, really. <laughs> Best thing to do is to find one in the Bible, which we got right here in front of us, telling us what the basics of a Christian community had. And I'm interested in that. And, and you know, basics is, if you don't have the basics of something, you're in trouble. I like to play golf, but I don't play it very well. I'm what you call a duffer. I'm not able to hit it backwards and forwards or miss it altogether. But I did have a good teacher, and uh, I was moving to an appointment one time where I had a golf course. and I thought it would help me if when I got there I could play golf and go out on a golf course. So I took lessons. And this lady... She said, you don't know anything about golf? I said, no, ma'am. She said, well, you have to learn to get the basics of golf. And she said, now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with the swing. You're going to learn how to swing at golf club. And uh, she she showed me a place on the ground and said, now, you just swing right there. And I'll be back in about 30 minutes. And I swung that thing, swing, swing, swing. And it just finally, by her teaching, I learned how to swing it properly. I learned how the basics of holding the club, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, one day after about, I think it was about a week, she came back and she put a golf ball on the ground. And she said, now shut your eyes. And I shut my eyes and she said, now hit the ball. And wham, I hit that ball just just like Tiger Woods. (laughs) You see, what happened was I had a good foundation. I'd gotten the basics. Well, what's what, what's the basics of this Christian community? Well, he says that the same old ground he, for him is pretty doggone extensive for me to consider. One of the old pieces of ground, he says, is repentance from dead works. Well, that's a hard call in there. Uh, repentance from dead works is to forget about the fact that you've got any possibility of saving yourself. I mean, that has to be, that's a learned basic of this early Christian community. They had, they had, uh, this down. And so they, that was an underpinning of what they had is the basic that repentance from dead work 
is nothing for you. John Wesley said that repentance is just a porch of religion. Just a porch. In other words, you haven't even opened the door of the house. You're just sitting on the porch. If you repent over and over and over and over, and your religion is nothing but one repentance after another, why, my goodness, you haven't opened the door of the faith, says Wesley. And the second one is just faith in God. I think that's important as a basic thing for us to remember. But basically, when you when everything is pulled off of it, what you've got left is faith in God, that God is going to take care of things that happen. God is going to, is in control, you see. So you trust God for everything. That's, that's faith, 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 faith. And that is in the Bible more than anything else. It's basic to the Christian faith. Is faith, faith in God, and God will care for you. Everything is faith. When you go to bed at night, have faith you're gonna wake up in the morning because you might not. You understand? Think about that. <laughs> now lay me down to sleep. Well, Lord, my soul to keep. Well, that's because you have to have faith in God even to be able to shut shut your eyes. If I lay down and worry about all the things that were worrying me all the time, I would never sleep again. Sometime. You've got to put your faith in God. That's basic. Then the third thing he says is baptism or washings. That He says, put that behind you. Don't think about that too much more as different than as it is now. It's the same thing now as it was then. In other words, don't get hung up on baptism. I, mean, I, got, I know people that get all bent out of shape, whether you're baptized once or twice or 50 times. I got the, the, how much water do you use? Do you use a, a a bathtub full of water, a swimming pool, the Chesapeake Bay, the Atlantic Ocean? Who cares? I mean, not, <laughs> I, I certainly am not going to lose a whole lot of sleep over that. I'm, that's basic that you have a baptism. Sure, that's basic. But all this other stuff, that, that, that don't matter. And then four, basic is laying on of hands. Now, this is a New Testament church here now. That's not basic in a lot of churches that I've pastored or, or, or know much about today. You go touching somebody today, you'll have to get a, a lawsuit on you. You've got to be careful about who you touch, what you touch, and where and when. And I'm, t- I'm serious with you now. This laying on of hands has power in it. Power in it. If you have somebody's permission and you lay your hands on this on a shoulder, or something. There's power in that. Power, power, power. Because the Holy Ghost makes that connection through you. And that's basic to this to this little church. The gift of the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit was basic and elemental. It was a part of their pneumatological variance, but it was not absent. No, no. It was there in that New Testament church. And the final one here. Oh, number five is resurrection from the dead. Move on from that a little bit. We're in the season of Easter now, coming up on Pentecost. There's going to come a time in these 50 days when we're going to move on to the Holy Ghost. That's Pentecost. We're going to move on to it in the church. But re- resurrection of the dead, implications of that for believers have to do with the power of dying. And this text is about dying. It's about people <clears throat> who 
were being prepared for persecution. This was not a good time in the life of the church. It was not a church supper every night. The, what happened was people were being were being taken from their homes, carried out and killed for what it was they believed. Christians were being hunted down during this period. So the, the basics of, of what you know uh, have to be developed into whatever else you know. When I played golf, I couldn't play golf without remembering the basics of it. But the basics I don't think about anymore. I just forget the basics because now it's in, in what I do. The same thing with this early church. The best of all resurrection says is yet to be. Don't, don't, that, that, that's a Christian fortune that. Eschatological. The, 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 the best of all is what is yet to be. In other words, the future is waiting for you and it's glorious, it's wondrous, it's full of resurrection power. And finally, a basic is eternal judgment. That is linked to the resurrection. But judgment, see, judgment. Not a, 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 a sense that everything is going to be all right. You no, know, no, no. God is at the end of this tunnel and he's a judging God. Now, that's basic stuff. Where is he going with all of this? The Lord willing, we will go on to other things in our life. And as we go on, we'll have inherent in us this, these basics. Now, they differ. And when they differ, that's fine. Because the tension between these things is often more important than both ends of it. What what? The Apostle Paul always seemed to be able to express the tension between things. Now, as you talk about this falling away here, this apostasy, the problem of apostasy rises here. That is to say that falling away, people that fall away, they had good reason to fall away. Who wants to go to a broken down old cross, a dirty old kind of a killing or murdering? Who wants to go to a Roman arena and be ate up by lions? Certainly not me. Do you? Well, this text is calling you to remember that your life is cheap. That is to say God God is, is interested in you and how you live your life and how you end your life. The problem of apostasy is here. See, people were, were, would, would come to church and go and get involved in the community and then something would happen to frighten them. You know, somebody would be there persecuting Christians over here. Well, let's get out of here as quick as we can. You know, and they'd put the children in the car and leave. <laughs> there were no cars. But they would leave and because they were afraid, see? Now, when they come back, when the persecution is gone, when they come back all happy and jacked up and looking for the faith, looking for religion, are you going to take them back? Are they worth five cents? Have they sinned away their baptism, as John Wesley called it? See, that brings up this thing of the the the, the uh, difference between Calvin and uh, Arminius. Arminius was a younger man than Calvin. He was born when Calvin died. But uh, Calvin kind of says, if you're saved, you're, you're saved. If you're going to hell, you're going to hell. Arminius says, well, the grace of God... Every, Christ died for everybody, and he, he's got a point. They both got points. The point is, sometimes in my life, 
I've been up a tree on both sides. That is to say that the tension between them is what is so powerful. The tension. You know, Calvin wrote more words than Arminius did. If you ever get to a seminary library, I did. I looked at Calvin's works and it took up a whole bookshelf, a long thing, his, his writings on theology. And then I looked for Arminius stuff, and that's three little books. <laughs> he didn't write as much, but what he said was powerful, and what Calvin said was powerful. Take want to get in the middle of that argument too much anymore, because people have, have begun to express the necessity of the tension between the two. And it's important. Basic characteristics is of an apost an apostic a person who has fallen away have some characteristics that are mentioned in this in this text. They despise God's gifts. You ever had anybody like that? You know, you say, man, I had the best expression Sunday. I heard somebody speaking in tongues, out glad and wonderful, and and then they get all you know antsy about it and. Don't, don't believe the spies. I don't like that speaking in tongues. I don't like that. I don't like it. Well, see, that's a sign of somebody who will fall away if you give them half a chance. They reject God's son. That's another one. They ain't too crazy about Jesus, you know, because if you want, whatever you want Jesus to say, you can find him saying one thing in one place and something else in another. And there's great truth in that. It really is. But what's important is the tension that exists between those two things that Jesus said, so that you can make up your own mind, and you have your own free will that are working for you there. And then he said, they forfeit God's blessings. So you see, they're against apostasy. They think you ought to hang in there, hold together, you see, be right there. And and But if you do fall away, you're forfeiting one of God's greatest blessings, one of God's greatest blessings. Writer of Hebrews lets us in on the basics of the early church to whom this text is written. Well, if you've talked about the basics, we now know what they are. And you ought to be able to shut your eyes and hit that golf ball without anybody without any trouble at all. We're supposed to be Christians that, 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 that can make a shot straight down that fairway to whoever is in need. Well, Christianity, especially early Christianity, is not that much like the game of golf, but here the writer gives us what is basic for us to know about Jesus. Because Jesus is the point. Jesus is the main thing here. And about the basics, we care. Now, as we come to the end, we're going to look for a moment here at the end of this chapter. I'm gonna that's just one word that I want to say about it because it all pretty much expresses how it is that we ought to live right and be balanced, you see, in in our in our theology. We ought to have somebody to be able to encourage us as we do. But the word anchor comes up. Anchor an anchor. God is your anchor. Up until two, three hundred years of the Christian church, the anchor was almost as rich a symbol as the cross was because people knew what an anchor was and they understood how it needed to hold. So this is the anchor 
of your faith. This basic stuff is what anchors you, holds you fast in the storms of life. Uh, look back over them. Don't, don't reject them and get too far away from them because they are the basics of a Christian life. And if you have those basics, the rest of it almost comes natural to you. Just natural. Now, an anchor, my, my granddaddy, uh, at one point was on a light ship. Light ships are all around the country everywhere back in the days. And they had, there were replacements for lighthouses. And the thing about a light ship, it had to get out in the water and stay where it was through the storm because the light was important. So these old light ships had big anchors on them, big anchors, 5,000 pound mushroom anchor, they called it. They'd drop that thing overboard and they would, that thing would hold the bottom, suck that mud up, and if just that anchor ship ain't going nowhere, ain't going nowhere, it's going to stay right there. But the dangerous part was the cable between the anchor and the boat. It could be a cable, it could be a chain, whatever it was, fastened that anchor to that boat had to be strong. Because that, don't worry about your anchor, the anchor's got you. See, if what, what has the potential for weakness is that chain. And you know who the chain is? You. And me, and me and you, and you and your neighbor, and you brother and sister in the church. That's the connecting. In fact, we are connected together with a hope that is steadfast in the ground. God is just. That's a part of this text. God, God is generous. He looks out for you, loves you. God is dependable. You can depend on him. Church community here were nothing but pilgrims press passing through this temporary time. And it didn't make any difference to them. They were just they were just passing through. They, they in order to be right and ready to die, they had to have faith in the Lord and the King of Kings, because people were persecuting them in every direction, rebuking them. Well, we're just about at the end of this. And I want you to say, I want to say to you that it has been a, a joy this morning to talk with you a little bit about the sixth chapter. It's a lot of depth to it. I'm using this Bible, this, this wonderful annotated Oxford Bible to help me along this morning. I use that. I have my outline Bible, which is always helpful when you study the word of the Lord. And I invite you to do that. Uh, I'm indebted to Bible studies of different kinds. And the Internet has been helpful in a lot of ways. But um, this is a sort of a watershed in book of, of Hebrews. We're getting now to get more and more serious. And as we tip over, we're going to brush up against that 11th chapter where it talks about all the persecutions that we've had. And this will even be more relevant to you then, because you'll be ready to hear that, hear that word. Uh, you close with a hymn. I'm not going to sing it, I'm going to read it to you. Beautiful hymn of assurance by William Bradbury called My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy, lean, on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his un 
changing grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then be in him found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Bye-bye. Thank you. Queima a impureza do meu ser Estrela alva brilha em mim Brilha a luz que inunda o meu viver